Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 26, entitled Once Upon a Time, in which I'll be examining issue number 22. You may not have known this, but Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, is an, a writer, and uh, she's writing her own fairy tale. It's a little weird. Stick around and find out more. So, as you guessed, we must, first off, before we dive in the issue, examine the creative team. It's what I like to do at the beginning of my episodes. And, as you probably guessed, there is not really a change to that creative team. It's still Claremont and Zinkevich. In fact, uh, they've titled it a Claremont and Sienkiewicz production of the New Mutants on this very first page. Uh, Glynis Wynn is the colorist, Tom Orzacheski is the letterer, and Nascenti is the line editor, and editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. Same people. It's been that way. It's going to continue to be this way for, for a, a couple more issues, thankfully. It's a beautiful run. So, uh, yeah, let's dive into uh, episode 20, or issue number 22, The Shadow Within. All right, so this issue opens um, with what, if you're familiar with the X-Men, it's pieces of Nightcrawler. That sounds really weird. Not pieces... Um, we see panels, uh, and, and in one panel we see feet of Nightcrawler uh, and his tail. We see his hands. He's spitting in them. He's reaching for what looks to be maybe a trapeze bar, and we see him uh, swinging. And what we come to realize as we're flipping through these pages and reading what Nightcrawler is saying is that he's working with one of the new mutants. He's working with Sam, and he's trying to help Sam, who in recent issues we have seen struggle with his ability to control his blasting. And I don't mean control his blasting by, like, firing when he desires to take off, when he wants to launch himself through the air using his biometric propulsion. No, what I mean is being able to turn in flight. He has struggled from the beginning with the ability to control the direction uh, and make sharp turns. He's had moderate success on occasion, and those have been met in his own sheer joy, like with his own sheer joy and excitement and like, you know, very uh, vocal acknowledgement of his success. But as of late, he sees his teammates mastering their abilities. He sees them uh, doing things and improving in ways that he does not see in himself. And he's not talking really to anybody about this. You know, maybe they can pick it up from his attitude, but he really isn't saying much to anybody about it that he feels like he's being slipping further and further behind. At any rate, Nightcrawler here is in the danger room with him, trying to help him maneuver, learn to maneuver. And he's given him some tips like how to position his body to cut his power and then to reignite his power, um, how to position his body to help him turn in mid-flight. And 
it seems as though Nightcrawler's linking it to his days in the circus. His his acrobatic skills can, if Sam can learn some of those, he can better control his abilities and make in-air adjustments and turn and do so sharply, quickly. Um, and that's the idea here. And so he's kind of showing Sam, showing off for Sam, kind of, you know, doing flips, swinging on this trapeze bar, uh, flipping, um, grabbing it with his feet, uh, doing some backflips, um, and then baffing and uh, basically appearing right next to Sam, hanging from the trapeze bar from his tail. And Sam is, you know, impressed by this. And he does kind of tell him that he's... He, what he tells Nightcrawler is that he's having problems getting his body to follow his thoughts. You know, he thinks one thing, but his body's not following through. And, like, when I when I read this on the page, it, it reminds me of adolescence. It, it reminds me of children, right? Uh, one thing I remember as a kid, playing sports, being an athlete, um, there'd be one season where a kid was really good. That's something that might be myself, my brothers, uh, my sister, or any number of their friends, or any of my friends, right? They'd be really good one season, one, you know, during the fall season of whatever sport we were playing. I really liked uh, American football. Or I mean, football, not American football, idiot. Um, but anyways, like, I played a lot of uh, football, and... While I was doing that, like, I saw kids really struggling sometimes. Like, they'd go through a growth spurt, and they'd struggle to, like, be graceful. They, they'd struggle to be able to run. They might be slower than they were the year before. They might not be as agile or good at dribbling as they were the previous year. And then the next uh, season, they'd be back to their, their same, uh, same ability. Or they'd improve beyond what they were doing the year the previous uh, season. And and the idea that the body takes time to adjust, you take time to adjust your body as you grow, um, as it gets bigger, is, isn't that surprising, right? You know, I can't say for certain that that's what's going on with Sam. Certainly a lack of confidence could create issues with your ability to, to successfully do things. Um, Certainly is something I've experienced, not being confident to, uh, enough to try something or to think I'm going to fail and therefore I do fail. Um, all these things could be playing in to what is occurring with Sam. And, you know, for him, he's worried uh, about getting hurt, even though he's invulnerable and he's blasting. And it, 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 it's not the pain of the injuries, it's it's the failure, right? It's the failure in front of his peers, in front of Xavier, in front of everyone. The failure for himself. That he's that that's the pain, that's the fear, that's the hurt he does not want to suffer. Um, and he's telling this to Nightcrawler. He's kind of really opening up here to Nightcrawler about this. And so. Nick and Nightcrawler's response is he's going to put a net underneath this trapeze for Sam. He doesn't need to worry about falling. Doesn't need to worry about that. Just, you know, he wants him to do this 
and not worry. Just just act. Don't think about it. Just act. And so he does this net. He does all this other stuff to try to help him with that. And Sam, he's really struggling for so many reasons. And we've discussed them in previous episodes. He's the oldest. He thinks that the other new mutants look up to him. And he's partly right because he is a co-leader of the team. And that's what Xavier, he thinks, wants, is those kids to look up to him. And so for him to struggle as much as he does and to not improve, he really puts a lot of pressure on himself. And, you know, he's just, he's struggling. And as this is all playing out, we also find out that Sam's afraid of heights a little bit, like, even though he flies. Um, At any rate, as Sam's milling this over and, and trying to work through this, just before they're about ready to start, Rain comes into the room. She blows him a kiss. And this is the part of this issue that made it really hard for me to be certain that the annual number one comes for this before this issue. I think it does because it wouldn't make sense after this issue. It doesn't fit really anywhere in there. And we see in this next couple issues uh, during this story arc that he's going to be wearing a Lila Cheney shirt. Certainly that doesn't mean he's dating her at the time, but uh, we have those links. And, and the only reason I bring this up is because as much as Rain is attracted to Sam, if, especially, you know, Rain is super innocent and she's super, like, goody-goody. And, like, I have a real uh, difficult time believing that she would be all over a guy. You know, not that she's over all over him, but she is showing her affection for him, right? And and certainly that is a known amongst the new mutants. They all know that she likes Sam. But the fact that she would just publicly display that in the form of, like, coming to him, blowing him a kiss, um, you know, telling him she wishes him luck, really it's an admission that she likes him very publicly. And the fact that, you know, that's where I struggle with this, just a teensy bit. Like, that issue doesn't necessarily fit here because I don't think that Rain's character is the type of character that's going to say, openly to Sam especially she's attracted to him when he's dating somebody else she's too that would put, make her too vulnerable i think and I, and i just don't necessarily think that her character would do that that being said the story's great and i really like the art here it's beautiful um you know it's it's i just really like how like in this these two panels here there's three panels here rain comes into the room sand standing up above the netting she blows a kiss to him uh, in, the next, in what, the next panel. She does that. And then in the third panel, Sam's got a, a goofy grin on his face. And there's a heart shape with a circle around it. And there's a line that connects the two panels. So we see that that kiss was like almost a blown kiss to Sam. Um, anyways, she wishes him luck. Um, and she, she is thinking as she's doing this. That she really wishes he wasn't working with Nightcrawler. She doesn't like Nightcrawler. Still doesn't like Nightcrawler. Because uh, the way he looks. His exterior looks. He looks like a de- demon to her. Anyways. Sam. He's on to his training. He, he leaps. He takes a running start. Jumps. And ignites his biometric uh, uh, reaction that propels him into the air. 
uh, just like a cannonball. And as he's rocketing, he's trying to, st- to do, as he's rocketing, he's trying to turn his body so that he can shift his legs away from the wall. His, he keeps getting closer, closer, closer. He's going to hit. Like, there's no stopping it. He's cutting his power, and, and Nightcrawler realizes he's in trouble. His power's been cut. He's going he's gonna to hit the wall. And so Nightcrawler teleports to him, catches him, teleport, uh, stops him from smashing the wall, and throws him into the netting. And Sam, of course, his ego is bruised. <laughs> he uh, feels like he's failed. You know, and he's really hard on himself. He's thinking about, you know, if Nightcrawler hadn't caught him, hadn't prevented him from smashing the wall, you know, he would have done damage to to himself or or wrecked the wall and cost the professor <laughs> millions of dollars, you know, like money to repair this. And then he's, you know, he's just really depressed. He's really hard on himself. And in that, he just falls into this really dark place. And Nightcrawler teleports down to him on the net and he sa- and asks how he's doing. He tells him he's nothing's broken. And he's, you know, like, I didn't mean physically. How, you know, how are you doing mentally is what he's asking about. And he says he's blowing it. He blew it. And Nightcrawler tells him at this point, like, do you think on my first try I succeeded? Do you think I was successful? You know, because he... You know, and they kind of bond over that. Well, as Sam's kind of getting himself together, uh, he takes, Nightcrawler takes this moment to interact with Rain. And he knows that Rain's still afraid of him, still sees him as a de- demon, still judges him based on his outward appearance, right? And, she want, and he wants to take this moment to try to teach her, you know, that that's not the best idea. And so he he goes down to the, he teleports down to her and he, and he uses the danger room's controls to change his appearance. He, he makes himself look like a clown. He makes Rain look like a clown and he makes this environment look, the danger room look like a circus. And he bows to Rain and he has music playing and he asks her if she'd like to dance, if she'd like, if he could have this waltz. She says, I don't know how, she doesn't know how to dance. He's, he takes her and he starts dancing. And, she, and he asks her, are you enjoying yourself? She says, oh, yes. And he tells her he's glad. And that's when he drops, he uses the control box that he had in his hand to, to let the illusion disappear. And he's holding her in his arms, and she is just terrified of this man. She sees him as he is, his natural state as Nightcrawler. And he tells her that this is, that it was a real pleasure. I really enjoyed this, um, but Sam's waiting. I got to go. And and she thought this whole time that this person dancing with her wasn't Nightcrawler, it was Sam. And she's horrified that she enjoyed it. And and she calls him a demon saying he tricked her. And he tells her he didn't want to hurt her, but he just wanted to show her that she shouldn't be judging people by their appearance. And she is horrified by this. She runs off, calls him a liar, you know, and just just enraged with him. And uh, runs off. She turns to her transitional wolf form and storms out of the room, running away, leaving Nightcrawler and Sam kind of surprised. And and 
Sam's trying to get her to stop running. But I obviously, like I said, she doesn't listen. She just runs away. So elsewhere, we see that Sam is not the only new mutant training. Right now, Roberto is in another portion, in the gymnasium portion of the lower half of Xavier's school. And he's working with Colossus. And Colossus is trying to teach him about strengths and the proper utilization of Sam's strengths. And Colossus tells him, you know, strengths is great, but if you don't know how to use it, it's really for no, it's pointless, right? Uh, and, and he tells him, I, you know, that Colossus had, tells, tells uh, Roberto that he'd learned that the hard way. And so Colossus is in his armor form, uh, and Roberto's in his sunspot form. And they're getting ready to spar. And he, he tells uh, Roberto that, you know, for... For Colossus, those lessons, yes, they were embarrassing and somewhat painful to learn, but his armor, his his metal armor protected him, protects him. It gives him some uh, a little bit better defense, um, whereas Roberto's uh, sunspot form, he's got a lot of strength, but that strength, uh, it, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, protect his body. His body is just as fragile as essentially as a normal human's body. Um, now... I'm going to just do a quick aside. When when the X-Men were first created, when mutants first came out, uh, were created, uh, in those earlier years, in that first initial run, uh, mutants, they were a little more durable than humans. They're a little more souped up. Uh, if you can imagine, like, stats on, like, a sports car, maybe. That's not really a great analogy. But they're a little more durable, a little maybe a little more have a little more strength. They're a little more uh, they they weren't completely human, so their baseline levels of strength, uh, endurance, stuff like that would have been a little higher. I'm not sure that Claremont really carried that over or not. I mean, you could make an argument that that's the case. Uh, I just wanted to point that out. I don't know that there's really any relevance. I just found it kind of interesting. I thought I'd mention it. Um, now that being said, Roberto's you know, Colossus and uh, probably Xavier and others are concerned that, you know, Roberto relies on his strengths, but that reliance can put him in danger that he is not, you know, really aware of because he hasn't been in enough situations to see the, the, the results. And so they want to teach him how to use his strengths so he's not injuring himself, right? Um, we saw an incident with the door uh, and, and the White Queen. Now, that was a... Uh, situation where he ripped the door off the handles, uh, off the, 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 you know, ripped the door out of the wall, and uh, roulette hit him with a luck disc, and it threw out his back. But his reliance on strength didn't stop that from happening, right? And, and he went into a situation blindly. So there are reasons that there is some concern, and uh, <laughs> Roberto's not excited to work with Colossus. He thinks he's pompous. He thinks he's, you know, talking down to him, and he's not really happy to be here. Well, we know that Rain's running away from the danger room, and she happens to run by the room where Roberto and uh, Colossus are working out, and they were just about to spar with bars, and Roberto's attention is caught by Rain, and he calls Rain's name, and he gets swapped right along, uh, you know, by, by uh, Colossus's pull, it sends him flying, and Colossus tells him to pay attention. 
in combat, a foe would not be so gentle. And on the ground, as he's getting to his feet, uh, Roberto's very upset. He tells him that hurt, and he rips the floor uh, up, basically pulls the floor out from underneath Colossus' feet, uh, and Colossus falls to the ground. And Roberto dives on him, and he says, I'm not playing with sticks anymore, and they begin to, you know, wrestle, and Roberto <clears throat> basically gets him in a bear hug, and he, he wants to go, ma- he tells him, I want to go man-to-man and find out which of us is stronger, and uh, Colossus is fine, he's like, fine, you insist, little boy, you'll find out, and he lets out a scream of pain, Colossus does, <clears throat> and Roberto lets him go and he tells him Colossus what is it are you hurt I didn't mean and he looks down at his hands and they're giant claws and like these aren't like the demon bear's claws these are glowing yellow and they're elongated and they're like just gray and just not even human I mean they're not even close to human Uh, and obviously Roberto's shocked by this and he, he he takes his, you know, he reverts back to his human form and, and his hands go back to normal. Everything's fine. He takes his helmet off uh, and he and calls to Colossus. And Colossus tells him, you know, not to worry about, he's not to blame, but he tells him he feels strange. And he thinks he's probably caught the flu or something. Something must just be off. He, he, he doesn't know, but he, he's probably sick. So finally, rain comes to a stop, and she peers through the window. She's looking into the laboratory where Moira and uh, Charles Xavier are are doing some examinations of Warlock. They're trying to figure out what's going on with Warlock. Here's another reason why I'm not entirely sure that um, Annual Number One fits here, because remember, in Annual Number One, fits before this issue. Sorry, because in Annual Number One, Warlock's out with the team. And here he is still, uh, he, he, you know, he's still under examination of Moira. Uh, so, of Moira and, and Xavier. And so, it, you know, it seems odd that, that he would be out on the town with the new mutants. But, again, it fit where I put it because, yeah, just it was better than breaking up the story arc. Now, like I said, they're running some experiments on him and just trying to learn more about him. And he has this little protrusion that comes out and turns it into an eye. He's he's as curious about them as they are about him. And Xavier says, "Hey, Rain, using his mental his telepathic powers, I know you're there. You know, do you need something?" Uh, and she runs off. She doesn't stick around. And what we see is. We learn about how, uh, or Xavier, we kind of know that uh, Warlock uses the techno-organic virus to consume organic material, and he uses that to create energy, right? And so they're testing that. They put a beaker of wa- of organic substance next to him. He puts a little tendril down into it. It turns into the same sort of living circuitry as himself, 
and then it consumes energy out heat consumes energy out through that leaving just basically burned out uh circuitry in that glass elsewhere rain finally comes to a stop and she's in her human form again she's returned to rain she's no longer wolf spain and she peers in the door of danny moonstar's room and here's another reason i think i probably put Rhett did that it, it, annual number one uh, a little too early it in this panel we see rain peering in the door uh, talking with danny and danny is sitting in a chair she's about to call, talk to her parents um and we see the wheelchair that she was in last episode next to her you know uh, uh, in the same room in the same panel uh next to that chair she's sitting in so she's likely still using the wheelchair to get around now in the annual annual number one she is using a cane and uh, pretty is in pretty assistant in her uh, in walking herself and running herself, which gets her into trouble in that issue. I think this is the last time I'm going to bring that up. So I do think that either the annual number one probably came at the end of the story arc. It probably would fit better there. Uncertain, but uh, it's debatable. I think. Anyways, Rain wants to talk to Danny. You know, she had that shake-up in the danger room. She's probably got some stuff that she'd like to get off her chest. But Danny's busy. You know, she's like, hang on, Rain, I'll talk to you in a second. Um, I'm just about to talk to my parents. And, her, her, you know, she's, essentially she's made the phone call. They're, they've picked the phone up. Like, she's in the conversation with her parents. And she asks about how they're doing. She tells them she wishes she was home with them. She misses uh, Colorado, Wyoming. She asks about how her pony's doing. And and we just kind of figure out that her her parents are home and they're doing well. And and she misses them, you know. Uh and she says that they're doing okay. Uh and she's and she's hopeful that they can come and visit her family. And as she's trying to tell that to Rain, Rain runs away. And Danny's kind of beginning to sense that something's not right. She doesn't like what's happening. And she she thinks to herself, she and Bobby have both been on edge lately, but neither of, of them will talk about it. I can't shake the feeling that something's really wrong. But what? Let's let that what hang in the air because we're just about to find out what. Park Avenue, New York City. We'll have to wait a little bit longer to find out exactly what is wrong with uh, Rain and Bobby. But what we do see in New York City is a high-end jewelry store. And a a driver waiting, leaning up against his car, waiting, uh, reading a newspaper. And inside this shop... We have this woman. She's in a dress and this big coat and a hat that has a veil. And she says, she calls the, she's, she's talking to, the, trying to figure out who owns this. She's, she's talking to the doorman and, and she's going to find out who owns this store. She, she knows, but she wants to verify that he's here. 
Herr Frederick von Rohm. And this gentleman, the owner, comes to her and he says, uh, that's, you know, he tells her that this is his establishment and, and, and she wants to, he wants to help her. And she tells him that she, he's going to have his, his, his workers, they need to leave. Uh, and, and she flips the, the open sign to close and tells him she wishes to speak with him in private. And he, and he points at her and he says, you know, who are you to give me your orders? You know, and she pulls out this, uh, this gem and she tells him that if if looked at in a certain way in a certain light there will be a face that appears on it and as he's looking at it sure enough a face appears on it and we know that face we know that Celine and he he he, he as he's holding this jewel in his hand he gasps in shock and he drops it and and he 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 drops to his knees and begging for forgiveness. He says, after two millennia, our goddess has returned. And he now knows. And what we've come to find out is that he's a high priest uh, um, who, who worshipped Selene. And, and Selene has come to him knowing that he was here and she wants his help in securing uh, a, a place to live. Like this is her new home, and she's gonna she's gonna mine this area. She's gonna, you know, do her worst here. And he he listens and he tells her, "I've got a solution to this problem, and it's called the Hellfire Club." And again, we're teleported, or we the readers are jumped to a new section of New York to the Hellfire Club, as you can probably guess. And what we see here. <clears throat> apart from what's going on with Celine, who's now moving, who's going to be associating with her with the Hellfire Club herself, what we see uh, happening at the Hellfire Club is that uh, Roberto's father, Emmanuel da Costa, is being initiated to, into the inner circle. He's going to become a member of the inner circle, which you can probably guess is going to cause some problems down the road for our friends, the New Mutants. Meanwhile, back at the mansion, Roberto, he's completely underwear of what his father is up to. He knows, you know, what happened with his father. He knows that his father, you know, tried to kill him and his mother. And, he, and he's been struggling with that lately. Um, but he doesn't know that his father is like being inducted into the inner circle of the Hellfire Club. You know, instead what we see is a picture of him swimming in the pool, enjoying himself, being a teenager, being a kid. And upstairs in the mansion, away from all the fun, and away from um, everyone else, is Rain. She's sitting in her room and she's scribbling at her desk. She's writing a story. And, and this is depicted so well in this, uh, in this issue. We've got the fairy tale, fairy tale tropes, right? We've got the Once Upon a Time on the cover. We've got the... Uh, it's like role reversals, right? We've got on the cover of this issue, it's, it's fantastic. And we've seen these characters that are from the cover. And what we have on the cover, I, sh- I should have covered this, we should have talked about this already, but we have this giant um, black knight, right? And that's the Black Baron. And this uh, wolf um, princess, it's obviously meant to be Rain. 
and uh, she, her name is Astria. I might be mispronouncing it. I'm sorry if I am. Astria. And we have this knight or this prince who's laying unconscious on the ground with all the animals of the forest around him. And the role reversal here is this, this princess, this Disney princess is the heroine and the, and the prince is the hapless victim. And, and this maintains true in the story that is inside this issue that Rain's working on. Um, She's scribbling out ideas and thoughts and drawing some doodles. She's trying to figure out the name. And as she's trying to come up with a name for her princess, we see the next panels depicting the story that she is writing. Right? And so we have Astriel, this princess that Rain's created. She's in this hut and she's doing some laundry and, and her fo- uh, forest friends, a deer and some rabbits are all helping her. And they're, you know, lo- you know, kissing, you know, just this lovey-dovey scene of her being at one with nature and just true to form. You name a Disney movie from uh, the 70s, the 60s, and, and you're going to see that depicted very well. The artwork looks like it came right out of a Disney movie. So Sienkiewicz, he's a master of so many different styles. Anyways, we have uh, <clears throat> the doors knocked open and in staggers the prince and he is injured and he collapses on the ground and he's unconscious and he tells her that the silver sorceress has done this to him. Uh, there's, you know, she's going to, and and she is She's got to do something about it if she's going to save her prince. And so she transforms into her wolf's form and she goes into the city to to find the silver sorceress. And in her journeys, it's raining, it's pouring, the city's dark, there's lightning, and everything seems to be able to do her harm. A car stops from preventing it from uh, to stop from hitting uh, this wolf. Uh, Eventually, and it transforms into a monster. In in this picture, this one panel, it reminds me so much of what we're going to see in Inferno. It is so like spot on, where the inanimate objects become possessed and do uh, people harm uh, throughout the Inferno saga. And this is like Inferno. It just screams Inferno to me. <clears throat> Anyways, um, Astria questions this cabbie, this cabbie monster thing, and finds out where the silver sorceress is. And she tracks down the silver sorceress and her ally, the the Black Baron. And in the confrontation, in this fight that occurs, uh, Astria, she's able to grab this necklace, which (coughs) contains all the souls that the silver sorceress had taken from um, her victims. Uh, and, uh, that's kind of after this battle, she, she has this, this, uh, necklace and that's the end of the story. Uh, the wolves, we see the, the, the wolf having defeated the black baron and has laid the, you know, knocked the the silver sorceress to the ground and bears its teeth before the silver sorceress. We see the the just this black panel with the slit eyes and the fang teeth all in white. And then we get close up, we have orange teeth and then red teeth and then blackness. And 
then we cut to the mansion outside an exterior shot the moon it's a full moon calm night uh the story has ended is what uh, the narration tells us but the night parish has just begun and what we see is rain laying in bed asleep but in her hand she's holding this necklace with that gem and that's the conclusion of this issue now uh, <clears throat> like I said, it's hard to place annual number one. I think it either, like I, 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 it's either before this or after this story arc. Um, and there's pretty strong evidence it's probably after it. I may have placed it in the wrong spot. There are a lot of reading orders that have it placed before this, and that's why I put it there. I just did a simple search online, and I found some uh, pretty extensive Marvel reading order lists that, that placed it in between... Um, Issue uh, 22 and 21, I think it could easily have been placed uh, at the end of uh, this story arc, which is going to wrap up, um, I think, with issue 24. Um, so it could have gone there just before the Legion, Legion saga stuff. Um, but no harm, no foul. It really hasn't done us any harm. There's nothing that's super uh, dis- you know, disruptive that we did this this way. Um, and, and I'm not sure, I didn't read it really super closely to see if there's going to be some trip-ups. And if there are, if there's a reason that this fits better here than at the end of this uh, story arc, I will try to point that out and make uh, you, 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 the listeners, aware of that. <clears throat> Otherwise, I think this is a fantastic opening to uh, what's going to be, if you haven't guessed it, the conclusion of uh, what happened with... Uh, Wolfsbane and Bobby when they had their run-in with <clears throat> those those uh, drug dealers who tried to turn them into uh, basically clo- cloak and dagger clones. And so we're going to have a run-in with cloak and dagger. Uh, and what we see in Rain's story where, where Astriel is doing battle with the Silver Sorceress, the Silver Sorceress looks exactly, almost exactly like Dagger. Now, cloak does not necessarily represent, isn't like a direct representation of the the Baron, or the Baron isn't a rec- direct representation of cloak. What we do see is a giant blue cloak, uh, you know, on this giant, um, what looks like a black knight. Uh, and the armor is black. It is black. So, uh, obviously, these two characters represent cloak and dagger. Uh and we are going to get the resolution to Rain and Bobby. And and we haven't seen a lot necessarily from Rain, but what we have seen is a lot of uh, callbacks, especially for Bobby. We did see some stuff where they were, you know, kind of entranced when they were at that bus terminal, when they're trying to go to Massachusetts to save Kitty. And we've seen some other issues where Bobby has had some uh, interesting manifestations when he's in his sunspot form. And so... Uh, we are going to get a conclusion to that uh, over the next couple issues. <clears throat> and then we're going to roll right into Legion. And that, Claremont was putting seeds for all of this stuff so early. And he never really, he hasn't harvested it, harvest, harvested it yet. And I think it's so perfect that he waited for Zinkevich. Whether that was intentional or accidental, it was beautifully timed because the artwork speaks so beautifully 
to what's happening here. And, and this issue, I think, is among one of Zinkevich's best. You know, the cover is, you know, lovey-dovey. It's like this little teeny, you know, little teenage girl daydreaming about Disney princesses. And you know, to me, that's not that great. But what this issue does do is it shows the range of Zinkevich. Because in the very first couple pa- panels, in that first page, I mean, he's drawing Nightcrawler like he would if he was trying to mimic more of a house style. And then we have at the end of the issue when he's drawing the artwork for uh, Rain's... <clears throat> sorry. When, he, when he's drawing the artwork of Rain's uh, story, it mirrors that of Disney house art, right? Like what you'd see in Disney animation. And then there's periods throughout this where the artwork is more, I don't want to say horror, but, you know, definitely has that lean towards horror. Um, I think uh, a good example of that, there's a couple spots. I think when Roberto's hands are transformed and he has injured uh, Colossus, I think the laboratory scene where... Moira and her, and uh, Xavier are looking at, work, you know, examining Warlock. That's an interesting scene, um, I think. And then Celine, I think the way that is handled in that store, I think it's, the artwork is perfect, you know. And so I just I I really feel very much that he's just exercising, his, really showing the readers what he is capable of in this issue in a way that, you know, we really haven't seen. I mean, we've seen excellence from him already. Don't get me wrong. Like, his Demon Bear stuff is unbelievable. It's definitely one of my favorite, favorite arcs of all time. And it's the the marriage between the artwork and and the writing that just makes it stellar. And I'm not going to go out and say, like, this writing is better than anything Claremont's done prior to this. It's good enough to tell the story and convey the message. The artwork carries the day here, though, in my opinion. The story's great, and the collaboration between the story and the artwork is, is beautiful, but it's the fact that what Zinkevich is able to do in terms of what he's capable, what is capable, and what his abilities with, with uh, paints and inks and pencil and, you know, multimedia artwork that's going to just that just blows me away and and this is just such a tour de force i think just in the terms that he's able to do so much um now uh yeah like i said we're going to be diving into the next issue that's going to be shadow man and we're going to cover that next week uh and yeah uh, it, it should be a great issue. It's going to be fun. We're going to, like I said, we're going to figure out what exactly has happened to Rain and Bobby, and if they can be cured. Are they going to be able to be cured? Can they be uh, cured, or are they doomed to to become monstrous versions of Cloak and Dagger? Are they only going to become uh, enemies and problems for the New Mutants and other heroes in the future? Um, yeah, so I should also mention here too that there's uh, some artwork at the end of these. Um, 
some splash page artwork. We have Wolfsbane, Mirage, Magma, and the last issue, not the annual, but the one prior to that, issue 21, there was some splash artwork there as well. Um, and I will try to find those and get those up on the as-mentioned pages on Facebook and uh, my Instagram. But, yeah, that's the conclu- that's the end of this issue, and we will dive into issue number 23 next week. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episode are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another way to reach the podcast is through Anchor Voice Message Service. This service allows you, the listener, to record minute-long messages that are then sent directly to me. I can take those messages and place them directly in the episode, so it's a great way for you, the listeners, to become involved in the show. Uh, And I highly encourage it. I'd love to hear any questions, comments, concerns. Please send me through whatever format works best for you. Uh, Until next week, keep reading those comics.